How are you? Welcome to Hit Different once again, your weekly music culture podcast with me, Mikey Carl. I've got Marcus Teague in the house. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Gab. Hey. And Gab, what's this, who's this Gab you speak of? It's Gabriella Cohen, G-Money, singer, songwriter, kook, legend, funny girl. Hello. Nice to be here. Nice to be here with you <laughs> in internet, in the cloud. We're all in the cloud, hanging around, trying to find that silver lining. That's a good intro. Good. We'll use that. Coming up in this episode, a Kid Leroy appreciation session, bringing a few people up to speed with what's going on in his crazy life, as well as a discussion about auteurs. And perhaps in Australia, we don't rate uh, and don't look after our auteurs as much as we should, especially in the music world. And then we'll swing into some sweet, sweet Cohen talking about Gabriella Cohen's career and her third record coming out soonish, Blue No More. We've heard Frangelico dreams off it. And it's just this really lovely sunshiny pop as cohen does so well how's it cohen all right friends here we go gabriella give us a 30 seconds or less what have you been doing how have you been surviving the never-ending lockdowns it's me and my laptop we do a lot of things together we've gotten pretty close now (laughs) (laughs) it's up and down but I'm grateful for being able to be fortunate enough to like exist well during lockdown. Good work. And we'll get into your um, slinging um, hot dogs in Elwood. We'll get into that later. It is time, really, it's overdue for a bit of Kid Leroy appreciation. Now, Kid Leroy, Sydney, 18-year-old rapper, now bona fide megastar. His name is the Kid Leroy. He's announced his first Australian tour. I think the tour is going to be called the End of the World Tour. <laughs> It's his first tour, and he's touring like Rod Laver Arena. He's doing all stadiums. It is mahusive. Brought to my attention when he was on the cover yesterday of Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, shirtless in a leather jacket with sunnies on. Very cool. I'll give you five fun facts about Kid Leroy so we can all sort of be um, up on the same page as the rapper. He was born Charlton Kenneth Jeffrey Howard. That's up there with uh, Snoop Dogg's Calvin Broadus <laughs> in Waterloo, New South Wales. He originally gained recognition from his association and friendship with Juice World while he was on tour in Australia, R.I.P. Juice World. He derived his name Leroy from the Camilleroy people, an indigenous Australian nation of which he is a part. I've done like three facts in my first fact. Anyway, number two, first heard on Triple J Unearthed in 2015. Uh, Blessings made the final of Triple J Unearthed, as I said. The Sydney-based Grammy-nominated producer Khaled Rohame, who produced much of Fuck Love, which is um, his current record for Killeroy, is one of his key collaborators. He's worked with uh, Rihanna, Ariana Grande. He first met Killeroy when he was just 12 at his recording studio in Alexandria. So he's a long connection with his producer. Number three, he was a Waterloo housing flats kid. His mother sold drugs on the side to make enough money for them to survive, which speaks to the struggle of many, many rappers. Uh, also, his father, Nick Howard, is a music producer and sound engineer who's worked with Australian stars such as Bardo and Delta Goodrum. So that's a really nice sort of like half-hood, half-pop kind of <laughs> pedigree. Uh, his mother, Sloane Howard, uh, was a talent manager, just mentioned her, record label founder and music exec of Aboriginal descent who once managed pop stars winner Scott Kane. 
Scott Kane, where are you now? That's not Scott Kane who was um I'm thinking of Dean Kane, Superman. Number four, we're getting there, friends. In the land of streaming on Spotify alone, he's got sixty-six million monthly listeners. Wow. Uh his Fuck Love trilogy hit number one on the Australian Aria charts at age seventeen, the youngest in history to achieve said feat, and he's the first indigenous artist to top the Billboard charts ever with his Fuck Love album. Whew! Number five, this week he performed Stay with Justin Bieber, opening the MTV VMAs. He tweeted, just open the VMAs, what the fuck is life? Which is the perfect kind of like ego-free way of just dealing with something that you just like, did this really happen? Side note, Justin Bieber seems to have got, he's kind of gone full vampire now. Like He's now the one <laughs> sucking on the blood of the young talent, being facetious, you know, especially burgeoning talent. I think we can say Kid Leroy has fully burgeoned. He's 18 years old and he's really just got the, you know, the world at his feet. Talking points, what were we all doing when we were 17, 18? Gabriella, you lead us off. Uh, I think I think I had just attended schoolies. Right on. Yeah, in the Gold Coast, Surfer's Paradise. Quite embarrassing, lots of vomiting <laughs> in pots and couldn't really handle alcohol. I had to like stay at home a lot in the hotel. Wasn't exciting. Marcus, what were you doing when you were 17, 18? God damn. Um... I don't know. Probably going to see some like terrible cover bands in Frankston. Yeah. And uh, skateboarding and probably like reading Rolling Stone as if it was some sort of like <laughs> Bible from a distant universe. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stone, uh, America. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking like pre sort of like social media and all that sort of stuff. So it was like whatever you could get your hands on. So glossy and beautiful. Going into a newsagent was a romantic experience back then. The smell of print is uh, something I still only get when I go to like, you know, Marimbula newsagents <laughs> on holiday. Great That's reference. From Frankston to Marimbula, now let's go to Hallam. At age, age 18, I was desperate to go to the Hallam and I started attending Thursday nights, Revenge of the Voodoo Surf Gods, getting for free before 9.30 if you have a little card, which we did, uh, and just <laughs> rocking and rolling there. The Hallam. Not spewing in pot plants more than pots, but um, yeah, it was it was a time. None of us are doing what Keila Roy is doing right now, which is just you know collaborating with Miley Cyrus. He was on Saturday Night Live recently. He's just done it all already, and he's only eighteen, and he seems to be yeah keeping his head screwed on right. Um, so question is why was he ignored by the industry here? Let's sort of try and work that out a little bit because people like Earthboy and Briggs have been asking why aren't we paying any attention to Keila Roy? He somehow bypassed success here and got massive overseas. He was on a development deal with Sony, um, R.O.P. Dennis Hammond, uh, and also P- Petrina Convey helped out big time. She's she's a person who I used to deal with um, back in the day, doing lots of hip hop tours. She told me some <laughs> terrible stories about t- trying to tour hip hop people, but then in, she sort of moved into management anyway. So she really helped out as well. And then he sort of went overseas and had this huge moment over there and it has just like stacked on huge moment huge moment huge moment he supported juice world when he was 17 uh here i think and he's like that's the peak of my career and in actuality no 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 he has many peaks to come one more thing i'll say from the um the age and city morning herald story that robert moran wrote is he said what's next he goes world dominion he goes oh don't you mean world domination he goes no world dominion domination has a ceiling i want everything you know i want world dominion and sort of to almost, you know, run your own society. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's thinking he's thinking big, and I guess the people around him as well. Um, what do we think about his music? Let's talk about that. Maybe like most 17-year-olds, he's a product of his influences. Mm-hmm. Like 
when you're 17, you wear that stuff pretty, you know, on the surface. And he sounds like it, like obviously Juice World and SoundCloud rap and that kind of like that coming up over the past few years, which in Australia, I guess, has been best represented by the sounds coming out of Western Sydney. Mm. It's almost like a Post Malone kind of universe as yep. well, like in, in terms of that that level of success that mm. he seems to be having. Mm. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense. Like in any genre, there's a figurehead or a representation of that at any one time, especially in the media and on the charts. Mm. And that, that, sort of, that sort of cycles through. Like, you know, after Lord comes Billie Eilish and, you know, after Billie Eilish comes whatever's next. And like, mm-hmm. there's that kind of, there's only room in the media sphere for one person to, to be at, on top of the mountain at any one time. And it feels like this is his little moment in the sunshine. I have never heard of him. I'm, I'm living in the dark ages. Super cool though that he's that young. Probably, I'd say 75% of our audience listening around about that would not have heard his music. I'm going out on a limb there, but I don't think it's that much of a limb. I mean, it kind of doesn't, it kind of makes sense that he's blowing up in the US over Australia because it's a very US sound. Mm. He sounds like US hip hop radio. Big time. Some of his lyrics, new girl, I got trust issues, all these hoes I used to fuck. Another one, I just fucked another bitch thinking about you. It's kind of romantic. I heard how from used to be on Triple J hip hop show and Coolism speaking to Oz Osman Faruqi on the culture, and he was saying when all these young Sydney hip hop dudes were coming up, hilltop hoods were not speaking to them, so they were finding that Manu, Manu Crooks and BYs people like that. Well, okay, I, I can tap into that, and I can see you know, especially someone coming from say a minority, you know, he's from an indigenous background, so. Yeah, I think it's it's excellent that he's sort of grabbed at some of the Australian influences and grabbed at that a lot of the American hip hop tropes, which I kind of look at in two ways. Like as a, as a critic, I go, this is very listenable music, and I enjoy bumping to it. And it's yeah, I can I can crank it up in the car, and I find it's it's quite original. The, the beats are quite original. Um, the lyrics make they're not speaking to me, and um, that's not not me being reductive at all. Either. It's just like it's I'm, it's not I'm j- jumping out of my skin to uh, to to rap these lyrics, but. Someone has to. Someone needs to fill this niche in a way, and he's he's the person to do it. With this, he's kind of he's rapping like he's twenty eight, thirty in terms of like the life experience that he's had. So I'm wondering how long he can keep it going. At the moment, though, it's it's incredible just how fucking big this guy is. And another point I'll make as I keep crapping on. In a week where Dylan Alcott has won the Golden Slam, that's all four tennis Grand Slams plus an Olympic gold medal, it's also gratifying to see another person from a minority, from a, a you know part of society that hasn't always had a very good um, run, <laughs> yeah, coming out on top, uh, which is you know which is what Keith Leroy's doing. It does probably make a little us a little nervous to try and talk about the Indigenous experience, and that's a good thing that we're sort of acknowledging that Keith Leroy comes from. The Camilleroy tribe, uh, and his, so he's taken his name from the Camilleroy, uh, yeah, the Camilleroy tribe, one of the biggest indigenous nations in in Australia. Even if he's not super duper, I'd say, I'd say Baker Boy, who um, uses a dig on stage and raps a bit more about being from North Arnhem Land, more so than than Kidleroy. I think feel like maybe Kidleroy in the next record, next few records, will start speaking. Perhaps going back to um, to his roots and sort of rapping a bit more about that. We don't know. At the moment, everything is working so well. I was going to ask you, Gabrielle Cohen, uh, how did you kind of find your truth? And when you started singing about your life, what were the things that sort of made sense for you to to uh, to put down pen to paper? Um, I think it's like that classic thing, like write what you know. I've always done that. So far, it's been 
relatively truthful. Feel like I'm still finding my truth, and I say truth in the way um the truth of my sound. I feel like the content is always been authentic and truthful to me. I think it's also good to point out, say, people like Baker Boy and and Miss Blanks and other sort of artists that have come along, First First Nations people, have really you know. It's, it feels very much like we're having a proper moment here with Barker and with, with a lot of other artists. And it's not token. It, it's something where people, there's an audience there for it and the, these voices need to be heard. And there's, yeah, there's, the followings are huge. And then for this to sort of come along and almost blindside a lot of Australia about how big he's got so quickly. Yeah, this is just truly a Kid Leroy appreciation session more than, a, <laughs> more than anything else. There's something that interesting uh, point that you made though, Marcus, is that it, I think to sort of uh, to flesh it out a bit more, which parts do you hide? Um, you know, what does Kid Leroy have to do with the VMAs? The which parts do you hide? What's the weaknesses? What's the strengths? How do you get that story across? And it, it feels like everyone around him is balancing that really well. Anyone in that position, if they get to show part of who they are and, and their history and their community without being sort of like a shill of the machine, essentially... Or, or kind of like to be someone that they're not, like that's something to be celebrated. Mm. It, and it happens constantly throughout history. I mean, with Block Party, Kelly said one of the band members in Block Party is like, don't say you're gay. We, we don't want people saying, knowing that you're gay. And I know for the first three, three or four years, maybe even six, seven years of their of their tenure as a band, he Kelly would really struggle with that. He's like, well, I should be able to you know, say, say who I am. Um, I think the same thing happened with Ladyhawk as well, don't at me with uh, working with Modular. I think she was sort of told to keep her gayness uh, <laughs> on the DL. So it does happen. It does happen uh, quite a lot. Gabrielle, let us swing to you. What kind of advice have you been given over, over the years for your the way you present yourself? I haven't really. Maybe people know that I might not listen, but I've never really worked with people or like intense labels that would suggest such advice ever which is wonderful. Do you have a manager now? Yeah. And how long have you had that manager for? And what's what's been your sort of previous experience with with managers? I've had so many managers. It's like (laughs) ex-husbands, ex-wives. It kind of feels like that. But now I have an amazing manager. His name's Andrew White. He used to be the um, head of tour operations for Live Nation. So he's like all around this stuff. Um, And it's brilliant. I think it's the best so far. Awesome. And how did you hook up with him? He came to like a random solo gig I had at the Globe like a year and a half ago and we've been friends ever since and then he started his own management company and then cool. kind of hit me so up. So he approached you? Yeah. That's unreal. That's a yeah. nice feeling. What do you say? Forget about the el- all the alimony payments. Forget about all the kids you've had with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> See you on me, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And you did very well yeah. not to mention our uh, past managers then. Well done. Very well done. Uh, friends, <laughs> you can find Hit Different on Facebook and hunt down myself, Marcus Teague, or Gabriella Cohen on the socials. Yes, we'll be very nice to you. Come and say hello to us in this very disconnected time. Let's all stay connected. Marcus, talk to us about this uh, very very cool and very sort of insightful review you did of Jack Ladder's record called Hijack, which you kind of hijacked yourself and turned it into a bit of a uh, a wider discussion about auteurs. And if you could d- define auteurs and sort of run with it from there, please, sir. 
I mean, an author in any sense is someone who sort of creates their own universes and and is, and is in in control of that and doesn't compromise on their vision. I suppose is mm-hmm. a good, good way to put it. Um, yeah, I was tasked with reviewing the new Jack Ladder record during the week, and and as I was thinking about it, because you don't like to backtrack, it's kind of there's not that many places at the moment that you get to sit with a record and write about it just as, as you know, Mikey, as a, as a writer and actually sink into it and think about it deeply. So it was kind of fun to do that for the first time in a while. And it made me realize going through his stuff that, yeah, there's Australia isn't top notch. It's supporting someone who flips around between genres, who takes it upon themselves to kind of break down what they've built to renew themselves or, or find some, as you were saying, Gabriella, like their truth, like, cause truth can shift. You can think one thing for one record and that speaks to you and that's you're voicing yourself. And then the next one, it flips around and it can be really hard in an industry where you, you're known for something to then knock it on its head and say, I'm this person now. And there's people that are like, well, you should have changed your name or, <laughs> you know, or you, you think you're doing this or whatever. And it can be harder to sell tickets for the next show, uh, especially in a smaller industry. That really struck a chord with, with me just when I was thinking about that record in that it takes a lot of bravery in the Australian music industry to reinvent yourself and have the confidence to reinvent yourself. And I, I found that really interesting. And because, of course, the payoff can be that if you are doing that each time, it can be harder to draw that initial audience. But over time, if that's what you become, if your fan base comes with you on that journey, then, you know, those fans tend to be really rusted on and that can be really sort of empowering and exciting to continue to break down what you do and, and whatnot. The side note to that is the Australian music industry isn't fantastic at supporting those sort of artists. And it made me start thinking about who has been like that over the years. Like, I mean, one example might be the Nick Caves and that sort of thing from, from back in the day. But Mikey, you and I were talking about it and Luke Steele came up from the Sleepy Jackson and keeps kind of destroying what he's built to, to make something new. The Empire of the Sun, yeah. yeah. Even though the Empire of the Sun, they've, they've really fallen off, unfortunately, in recent times. But they sort of had an album and a half of greatness. I'm a big fan of Liars. Angus Andrews, excellent at doing that. Mm. Basically, putting out, having an album cycle, burying it, coming out with something brand new. This is what I'm doing now. And then over time, people kind of kind of follow that. Aldous Harding's doing it a bit at the moment, I feel like. Mm. K- Kimbra is a good example back in the day. And Lord. Yeah, Lord oh. to an extent. Um, yeah. It does feel like with Lord that people haven't necessarily come with her yet on this record. But that's an auteur though. I think that's okay because mm. that that's a good example because she's kind of gone, well, I'm exceedingly famous and well-known for this sound. Fuck it. I'm going to do this now because this is what is my truth or this is what's banging my drum and i'm blazed and and you always lose people when you do that and that's that's kind of part of that journey of the artist to have the confidence to do that and is uh is a is a really valuable thing Mm. a few other ones quality jonathan boulay had that single community service announcement which was (laughs) 
Kanye West posted about it on his blog in 2009. Uh, now he's in a band called Party Dozen. This is Jonathan Boulay, Unreal Band. Kieran J. Callan is another one where he did Embracism, which I would love him to do an Embracism too. Probably not going to happen. Let's hope he does. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's very much following his own muse. Holiday Sidewinder with Bridezilla, Alex Cameron, uh, Augie March, Sarah Mary Chadwick as well, who constantly does new things. And I think Sarah Mary's a bit like Liars uh, in that everyone just follows and everyone's like, yep, we're into this thing that, that you're doing. Before we swing it back to Jack Ladder, Gabrielle, out of these artists, which ones that have you sort of resonated with the most? Aldous Harding, definitely, for sure, I resonate with. She's incredible. I feel like she's always like on the money, whatever she puts out. You were saying you, your new album comes out soon. You were saying a moment ago that you feel like you've kind of found some new aspect of what you do for the new record in terms of the sound. Has that felt sort of like a, a brave thing for you? or mysterious i feel like it's just natural it's just like every artist just has to continue to grow you know and this was my growing it took like two and a half years to get there there's a song called son of a gun which is like something new for you as well talk us through that song a bit because it's got this wonderful sort of chorus in the background like almost like a greek chorus we used to have a, the car park choir as well and on a, i think it was your first record you had the car park choir so it, it's sort of it's a nice little throwback to that while also being something quite new. I adore working with lots of voices. Like the more, the better. It's it's like the best remedy, I reckon, for loneliness. But also making sense of the world through mass, <laughs> mass voices. But yeah, that song was written in New Orleans. We used to walk to the corner store every day and I'd get a salad roll and my partner at the time would get a Coca-Cola and it was just this routine that we had. Was there, and there was Fireball involved in this. Talk to us through that, please. Yeah, so it was Hank's Corner Store, and we used to get a little like a uh, $5 Fireball, and that would be that would be the best. We'd rock on to some parties. We'll get to it later on, I'm sure, Gabriella, but your the new record, it sort of swings through. It kind of kicks off with this suite of bright, really hip-swinging kind of pop songs and then there's some quieter stuff in the middle and then there's almost some electronic textures that come in towards the end a little bit did you feel that you were excited by new sounds or did you feel kind of bold enough to do new things because of that's just where you found yourself had gravitated to over the past couple of years or were there outside voices or stuff that you were listening to that was pushing you in that direction no it was just kind of like again just like natural it just felt right I feel like everything I do is just a big salad. It's just like throw it together. <laughs> I don't really care about themes or like, I just found some cool synths and plopped it on. I like that. Done. That's a good <laughs> quote. We'll use that quote up at the Done. start. Thank you. <laughs> um, Marcus, with the Jack Ladder record, I like the fact that you didn't get too enamored with the whole direction you'd gone. Like I think you sort of, with, with your review, you pointed out that it plods along, not plops along, plods along sort of towards the end of the album. It didn't necessarily take you perhaps where you all wanted to go, but I'm sure at the same time you're sort of acknowledging that that's what Jack Ladder needed to do for, for Jack Ladder, who admits that, you know, he went to alcohol rehab, unfortunately, and there's some suicidal stuff in there as well. So it's pretty heavy going, but he always has this sort of bright sense of humor throughout it all as well. A very dry, dark sense of humor, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really great record. And can I preface it by saying that what the fuck do I know? Like writing reviews kind of sucks 
(laughs) (laughs) But someone has to do it. And sometimes if you're tasked with trying to sum up an artist's work, especially over such a big period of time and you've only got a, you've got a week to sit with it. There's so many different factors into the words that go on the page. And Mm. it feels weird to be talking about a review that is you know trying to sum up someone's life work especially when it's so (laughs) especially when it's so tethered to their lives so you know i just want to start by saying what the fuck do i know yeah i i I think it's a really interesting brave record and i I guess that's part of why it's hard to write about is because sometimes you can acknowledge some someone an artist that is really putting their neck out and doing something that is really difficult for them and speaks to them in almost sort of like a, you know, it's something that they had to pull out of their soul. Mm. Like they weren't, they weren't thinking of like a three and a half minute pop song and if the drums kick or whatever it is. And so for that to, for some things to resonate with the listener and some things not to, it almost doesn't matter. And I guess that's where it gets back to being an auteur, which is like something that you have to get out of you and put Mm. down and, Mm. It, it come what may sort of thing. So that's that's why it can feel a bit hard, harsh to even try and review what people do. Yeah, but I think it's a really bold record. I really, I dig it. Some of the lyrics, it's really not that bad. I've lost every, everything and everyone I ever had. Another one, I'm just sitting here not drinking beer. That's when he's in rehab. Yeah, he's, he's got some killer lines. Whew. So amazing. Do you read reviews of your own stuff, Gabriella? Um, you seem like a kind of person who you're just so in love with the world that if you read a bad review, I reckon it would knock you around for a day or two. Or Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I read reviews. I read all the reviews. I used to write reviews and I still I still do. So I'm really interested in what people have to say. But I really, um, I like critique. I feel like people should critique more. I feel like people are afraid to say bad things. I got slugged real bad when I wrote, a bad review on a live show a couple of years back. I just got like about who? About who? It was a Brisbane band, but they were kind of getting big and like they trolled <laughs> me. It was terrible. But yeah, I welcome you know critique. I think it's I think it's healthy. People gush a lot. I mean, I'm one of them. I gush a lot, but it's good to yeah. Why not? Very good point. I'll give you a, a, an interesting anecdote. So Jack Ladder uh, for his second record. I was going to review it. I interviewed him. We ended up hanging out and went and saw uh, Spencer P. Jones, rest in peace, at Cherry Bar. Anyway, it's a cool afternoon, yeah? Because he's just like, we call him, he's just like a very funny giant, you know, sort of big, funny, sad giant. Then I went home and lived with the album a bit more and I went off it and I texted him say, hey, man, I've written the interview. That's great. However, I'm reviewing it and I've gone off the album a bit. I'm just being honest with you. And so it's the review is going to come out tomorrow, so it's not as glowing as perhaps I thought it was going to be. And he just went, oh, I can't wait to read it. And then the next day I'd given him two stars <laughs> out of five and he wrote, oh, I was hoping you'd go all the way to one. Like that will never, ever happen again to any critic in the history of the world. <laughs> and then third album comes along with Susan and uh, all that kind of great stuff. Or the third or fourth album, probably the fourth album actually, which what was the Blue Poles? Incredible and just has this real kind of sultry swing to it. And I texted him and, hey, I'm loving the record, you know. And he didn't have to respond to it. He could tell me to fuck off. But he's like, I'm glad I've redeemed myself in your eyes. Like, what a sweet, amazing human. Just, you know, like he, sort of above everything. Like you say with, with critique and Gabriella, bring on critique. People are afraid to say what they mean, you know. Feelings get in the way. But you you are not your album. You are not, you know, you're an artist and this is part of your artistry. It's very hard, I'm guessing, to sort of separate that. 
But if you can, like Jack Leather obviously can, then that's yeah, it's remarkable. Totally, yeah. Well, anything anything written can only be through the prism of your own experience too, right? Mm-hmm. So, like mm. how me reviewing a record versus you guys is going to be completely different because we all have different touchstones and yep. different life experiences. But to your point of saying that he wished you could have gone harder, it is also true that sometimes the biggest goal as an artist is to make people have strong feelings. Yes. And that can that can be good or bad. Sometimes it can be a bit of a bummer to get that middle of the road. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was all right kind of thing. Like that. that's almost the kiss of death in a way, isn't it? <laughs> like you, yep. you want someone to either mm. really hate it or really love it. Yep. Yep. Completely. Yeah. Um, can you remember the nicest thing anyone's ever written about you, Gabriella? And can you remember the nastiest? There was a re- review on my first record, Full Closure No Details, where they said I sounded, it was like half-baked ideas <laughs> and confused. But it, it's true. It was, you know, and I don't know why. I mean, I'm very grateful for all the praise it received, but it's totally half-baked ideas. And so it's good someone <laughs> could see through that. Uh, and the nicest thing, maybe... A lot of your quotes, Mikey, were very nice, like tip to follow in Connie Barnett's Converse sneakers, you know. You were very, you. very lovely. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Blushing a little yeah. bit. I give uh, I give your review of my review five stars. <laughs> very also, good. Also, there's, there's nothing wrong with half, half-baked ideas. Mm. Like some of, the, some of the best records in, in the universe are half-baked ideas. Yeah, totally. Completely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about it. It's just constantly, and there's a whole other ageism thing going on as well at the moment, which is f- super interesting. A new ageism, ageism in has uh, launched an Instagram today. Uh, just talking about, you know, how often, and Paul Kelly said it, it's like those first few albums, I listen back to them and go, oh, I can barely listen to them. Like, uh, And now the voice he had and the voice he had when he was sort of 30, 35, you know, and many, many artists would, would agree with that too. And you're an example, I think, Gabriella. By the way, you can subscribe to Hit Different and you get the bonus episode, Bing Bang Boom, in your inbox right now. You don't have to wait like all the other suckers. Please do. It's I think it's, what, $4 a month? It's jack shit. It's, it ain't, yeah. Honestly, just put the money straight in my account. Friends, segment three. Gabriella Cohen is here with us. She's been weighing in nicely. I feel like we all three of us warmed up with Kid Leroy, came good with the auteurs stuff. And now we're talking all about Frangelico Dreams and your new record, Blue No More, which is coming out when? 21st of January. Fantastic. We are getting in super early. I like this. We're building a groundswell. Slinky fun single as well, Frangelico Dreams. Uh, new Orleans is involved. Elwood hot dogs are involved. Um, you always have this through line, though, of <laughs> being in love with someone full on in, in having reviewed your, your other records, that this love, this sort of power of, um, of love and of lust and all that kind of stuff. Has that informed your album one more time? I'd say less so, definitely, which is such a relief because it's just boring singing about love all the time. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely more fragmented. There's love involved, but it's not like this tribute, like a dedication. And so when you sing love, I'm, this is, and I'll ask Marcus as well, I'm so, always so interested that when people are singing love songs, whether they're singing them about that person, even though they're not in love with them anymore, how do you do that? How do, is it acting? It's like luck of the draw. There's like interviews of Leonard Cohen and they ask him that and he, he like says he will make sure he will like get back in that moment. But 
it depends on so many things and if you're comfortable on stage if you like worrying about if your shoe's gonna fall off or, there's so many things <laughs> um i would say like 80 percent of the time i'm there definitely especially when i look at the audience and that they have their eyes closed and they're really connecting i'm like oh shit they're really into it let me get in <laughs> you know <laughs> I was at one of your shows a few years ago where the audience was not into it. It was, you got paid nice. It was a corporate show. It was at uh, the Shotgun Wedding Place, the Unknown Union. Out the back of the Thousand Pound Band. Yes, that was the one. And it was a daytime gig and it was your birthday, I believe, Gabriella. And I brought, oh, you, brought along a book totally for you. They were totally into it. What are you? Oh, <laughs> oh the Pandora crew. Just a lot of chat. Like people were enjoying it, but it was a very chatty crowd. Yeah. So how do you push through that? Oh, you just got to fake it till you make it. You got to fake it till (laughs) you evoke some emotion. It's a trick I haven't really mastered well with when the cameras are on you and it's, you got to deliver. It's, I admire artists who get that straight away. It's a skill. Mm Hmm. I've seen people crack it many, many times. Artists crack it that they're not getting enough attention paid to them. Even a guy from Blue Bottle Kiss was playing in a pub in London years ago. And halfway through the, the set, this other guy got up and said, hey, everybody, can you shut the fuck up? A lot of people have traveled from the other side of London to be here. So please, honestly, you can't need to shut the fuck up. And it just changed the whole atmosphere of the gig. And it was not a good thing. Like a bunch of people left. They were just, they were just happy to be at the pub and they were just loud and drunk. So they left, and after they left, it was just this kind of like, oh, um, like you yeah. felt like, oh shit, am I enjoying this enough? Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't abuse or scare your audience. Like it's, it's yeah, you got to do it. It's a fine line. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of auteurs, Brian Wilson, one of one of the great ones. Yeah, essentially using the studio as an instrument. Uh, you know imprinting his entire psyche on that band's best work, the Beach Boys' best work. Mm. Your first single inspired by him, Frangelico Dreams? Not musically at all. I, I, I no. read his um, his book that he wrote, the first one. Uh, it's called I Am Brian Wilson, I believe, 91. And it was so shocking and awful and so depressing. I was like floored by it. And it just like hit me hard for like a couple of weeks. In what way? I don't know. I feel like I almost got stoned from it. Past traumas. It's just all trauma, trauma, trauma. Um, there's things I'm I'm not even gonna say. I had no idea compared to like the happy music that he makes. Well, bittersweet, but you know, mostly happy. Um, so it, I was just kind of compelled to write um, about that period in particular where he was like lying on his bed, like totally obese and paranoid and schizophrenia, all that. That was like my little ode to that, to him. Yeah. Is it the fact that it's sort of like the that sort of sad clown sort of thing is is almost Brian Wilson's kind of story of his life, like makes some of the most joyous, happy music in the world, but also one of the most tragic figures. Was that kind of like duality is attractive to you in, in what you found in that? Uh, yeah, totally. I guess it's, it's attractive to everyone. There's also like, you know, like all the famous comedians of the world are just like dying of depression. And I think in any like good artist, you'll find that juxtaposition. Mm. We spoke we spoke to Paul Dempsey last week who was saying, why would I, so two weeks ago, why would I stop what I'm doing if I'm having fun and pick up a pen and paper? So he's talking about always writing songs when he was a bit down or, you know, or just wanting to work something out in his head. 
what draws you to to writing? I'm not that disciplined anymore, so I write um, less and less, which is terrible to admit. But it usually, I'm usually compelled to write when it's I'm having a hard time at the moment, mm-hmm. when I just need to figure things out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. when when How I'm it- when I'm happy, it's you know hard. You don't want to write. <laughs> no way. You want to be at the beach. <laughs> Did you write things down to organize your thoughts before you started making music? Yeah, I always do. I just like write a whole bunch of stuff and then sling them together. Yeah, morning pages helps as well. Do you, mm-hmm. do you guys do morning pages? No, I know a bit about it, but tell us about that. Like, it's like from the artist's way, but it's like as soon as you wake up, um, have your coffee, and then you just scribble down three pages kind of as fast as you can without really stopping to edit or... You know, like stream of stream of thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do many lyrics survive that? Yeah, well, Frangelico dreams. A lot of, a lot of that was in there. And what other sort of things do you do in in a similar way to sort of? I know, like with David Bowie's the oblique strategies, where he gets a whole bunch of different phrases and just puts them, he's put them in a computer, especially you know such an early version of a computer, and just coming out with these phrases in different ways and then making a song out of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I've tried that a couple of times and I was like, wow, this is this is impressive. All these words I'd never use. I, I tried with newspaper clippings. But mostly it's just lots of sentences that I write down and keep together and waking up late at night and like writing things down. You'd both know. Yeah, so it's the middle of the night. Do I need, I need to go to the toilet? I need to write down the intro that I've just thought yeah, yeah, of yeah. for the anime story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is interesting to recognize when those things pass through your head that it's like, oh, I know this. I know that if I don't get it down right now, it's going to mm. be gone in the morning. Mm. There's, all those, there's all those times you promise yourself you're Oof. going to remember in the morning. Yeah, Never. And you never, you never do. But then yeah. I guess the flip side is so many times you vomit out all this genius and then realize it's complete <laughs> trash in the morning as well. This is also a therapy session for Mark, yeah. which is fine. <laughs> we can lie back Sorry, on the couch. I, did not even realize you guys were here. <laughs> in Seinfeld, it's the astronaut's pen, which you can wake up in the middle of the night and write. With it. it doesn't have to be pointing down. I think his uncle Leo ends up stealing his pen. He's like, you know, Uncle Leo, I needed that astronaut's pen. It's because Jerry comes up in the middle of the night with all these, you know, these great lines, these great things. Yeah, it's always when you're falling asleep. Blue no more. It's yeah. It's obviously saying to us, "Hey guys, I'm coming out the other side." How long were you seeing this person who you would travel to Hanks with in New Orleans? Sky, I was seeing Sky, like most of Pink, um, Pink. I was about to say Pink no more. Most of <laughs> um, Pink is the color of unconditional love. Um, was part of that era when I was with Sky, and we parted ways. Um, so we were together for like three years, and we parted ways after New Orleans in like mm-hmm. 2019, April mm-hmm. the eighth. And that's and how did, was it a, just ripping the band-aid moment? Had you broken up a bunch of times before instead of always got back together? Or? No, we were we were together. We did a long haul. I don't know how we did it, but I guess long distance helps because you get your own space. But it was mm-hmm. we're both artists, and it was just like getting to the point where neither of us could make our art because we were just annoyed by each other. So it was like, see you later for a hot second. <laughs> we got to do our things. Yeah. Uh huh. And how long until you felt like, oh, God, I should have done that earlier? Or, you know, oh, oh, God, this feels good now. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I was thinking it for like a year to do it. So mm-hmm. as soon as I jumped on the plane back to Australia, I was like, thank God. But I could mm-hmm. have done that like a year ago. Sorry, Sky, <laughs> if you're listening. 
He'd never listen. No, so, he wouldn't listen. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> My partner wouldn't listen to this <laughs> podcast either. So, you a sucker, lady. Is that to suggest that, to go back to your question, Mikey, that a person or a love is instructive to this record, or is it just a chain of events that flows on from that? And it's the events themselves that are instructive to this record. Yeah, it's a, events. It's all events. Yeah. It's not like one thing or one person. It's just like a bunch. It's like big salad. Big salad. Yeah. And Sam that's, Cromack. That's, that's the sticker on the <laughs> yeah. album cover, isn't it? It should be. You do I, make friends with Gabriella Cohn salad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you worked with Kate Dillon a lot. Uh, Baby Shakes, is that how we say yeah. her name? Yeah. Yeah. What's the relationship there now? Because you guys were super tight. Yeah, we're, we're tighter than ever because um, we awesome. both can support each other from afar. But she's... Have you seen what she's doing? Have you heard her stuff? No. She's no, no. she's making waves. She just um, recorded a live record called Diesel Forever. It's like Queens of the Stone Age meets Mad Max. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um and, and it's like it's like heavy, heavy rock. <laughs> yeah, it's it's brilliant. So she's doing that and I'm doing this. So it's great. We get to yeah, be there nice for each other scoop. in other ways. Good good scoop. A second scoop. Uh, so, Baby Shakes, check out that record. Second scoop is there's a hidden song all the way out. In January, when it finally comes out, Blue No More, Rewind at the end, which is my favorite track on the record. Is it? So it sneaks, oh, yeah, it sneaks up on you at the end. And it's sort of this, God, I have to listen to it again to really describe it well. But you work with Sam Cromack from Ballpark Music. Tell us about putting Rewind together because it's – it's very calm and it's very calming. Well, Sam Cromack and I worked on only the first three tracks together. Okay. Rewind um, was actually recorded uh, like six years ago in my mother's bed. I was just falling asleep and I had GarageBand open and I was I had my earphones in and I was just like keying in some MIDI stuff, which turned out to be Rewind. And then I was just singing through my little microphone earphone piece so mm-hmm. that whole song i've just been hanging on to for six seven years just waiting to release it and then when you listen to it you, like the the very end is just all the string outro that's what i composed the last couple of months so it's kind of mm-hmm. like a marriage does that make sense Excellent. yeah 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 fantastic yeah i dig it i can't wait for marcus and our listeners to hear it as well it's it's really great it's just sort of and it's a it's a bit auteur-y. It's It's something that's burning down everything you've heard before and here's something new. It's interesting, Gabriella, that you worked with Sam on three songs and all those three songs are front-loaded at the record. Mm. Like in terms of the journey from, from start to finish, did there need to be one where you're just front-loading all your favourite songs at the start? Like what was the process of of how the feeling that you wanted to sort of like arrive at? Yeah, that that bit is the hardest, as I'm sure you know. I'm like... I get really stressed out at trying to like track the journey and that's if people actually listen to the journey. But <laughs> I guess I try to put like Frangelica Dreams at the end or and I try to mix them around, but they just kind of like stuck out. So I just figured I would do right to the to the production, you know? So I've got like three songs with Sam, two songs with Jack and I kind of like just bundled them all together. And it, it's kind of fitting. It's like morning side, night side-ish. Mm. Is that Jack? Is that... J.B. Patterson? Yeah. Folk Troubadour? Folk Troubadour, yeah. Right on. And something else you're doing, you're an actress starring in a feature film, Paris Funeral 1972, shot in Europe, darling. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I just threw that in there. Um, yeah, that happened like in 2018 
um, a friend of ours is like a amazing um, filmmaker and he took Kate and I and a bunch of other humans to Europe and shot a film, which is amazing. I'll be bragging about that for the next 10 years. <laughs> As you should. Yeah, dine out on it. Yeah. What's your act- acting experience previous to that? Absolutely nothing. But I've always wanted to be an actress. And I think I'm, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to do it. Get an agent. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you've got um, Larry Live Nation guiding you through, <laughs> you know. Get someone else throwing down. Yeah. And Russell Crowe was baiting someone on Twitter this morning saying, I'm an old man, I'm grumpy, and I have a truck. I was like... <laughs> so, Great. Yeah, because he he had a stalker. And he he identified this new stalker that he has, and, and he just like put his Instagram up, and it was great. And now now everyone's like the new Russell Crowe expression is I'm I'm an old man, I'm grumpy, and I have a truck. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, I, maybe, maybe it's from a film, but I don't know. Sure, I don't think it is. That's his like Instagram bio now. Could be. Yeah. Fuck people up. Uh, very good. Okay, one more question before we jump into a bonus episode with you. Um, what right now do you want to do more acting or singing music? I actually want to do podcasts, to be honest. I want to start, I want to start interviewing other artists. I want to do a whole bunch of things. It's always changing. Lots of salads. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll continue to make records and act and do podcasts. Yeah. Cool. I thought this podcasting, how many podcasts have you done? I think this might be my first. Holy moly. (laughs) Yeah. The best part was might be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very good you, go. you essentially interviewed maple glider recently for happy mag yeah is that does is there something about speaking artist to artist that is um rewarding in a way that i guess your standard interview isn't yeah totally yeah it's way less formal and i'm always if i like something i want to like understand how they got there and get into their heads specific things and I, I feel like after interviewing um Tori from Maple Glider I was like oh this is amazing you know you can learn so much so yeah she's that record that oh that record God. is perfect like it yeah. really is have you heard it another one. I've lived I haven't a lot. I haven't heard it yet oh I, I highly it. recommend it and I, I I've never said a record is perfect I don't believe so mm. Mm. 10 out of 10 100 yeah yeah. yeah, five stars. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's full on too because it's you know a lot of it's about her escaping. Essentially, mm. she was in a cult. She had to escape a cult that her parents were in, in uh, regional New South Wales, and to get out of there. And then her mum, she she escaped in like a year later. Her mum mm. kind of extracted herself, and yeah. Do you know the name uh, of the cult? No one. She she refuses to to name it. It's probably good. Cults o- cults always seem to be in New South Wales. Jesus What's Christ. Up with that? <laughs> What is the deal? Hello to our New South Wales listeners uh, and our cult following there. Ooh, ugly, bad pun. But it does take us to the end of this episode. Thanks so much for Mushroom, a creative house, Courtney Carthy, our producer, Marcus Teague, and Gabriella Cohen, gorgeous co-host today. Please uh, follow Hit Different. Follow us around. We'll be willing to take your call. Give us a nice review. Tell all your friends about us. 